Gaming History 101. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, and joining me today from Redmond, Washington, in his own private campus, is none other than Mr. Jem Elias. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very good, Fred. It's, not, it's nice to be back in America for a change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I mean, you're in the Pacific Northwest, so I don't know if I would necessarily call it America, uh. but it's somewhat reflective. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna hear me adjust my mic for a second here. It's uh, you might not have heard it, but I know it comes through. But anyway, <clears throat> but uh, yes. Yeah, so, Mr. Jam, what brings us together today? What's today's episode about? Well, today's episode is the slightly delayed 15th <laughs> <laughs> birthday of Xbox. Which yes. Was it, was it last week or the week before? I November fifteenth, two thousand and one. Yes. Which, to get specific was exactly two weeks ago. So we could have done but it, we but we didn't. We, <laughs> we did, did the Game Boy, Boy Top 10. But <laughs> people might forgive us. Plus, some of my other retro podcast friends did not do an episode on it. So there you go. Mm. But uh, And I was telling Jam in advance, so I'm going to apologize right up front to everybody um, that, uh, you know, I, I apologize. I am a super nerd when it comes to the Xbox. And I even told Jam... Not necessarily the Xbox in and of itself uh, as a console, but rather a, a, a super nerd in terms of the Xbox business. And this will not be a, a heavy business plan or anything like that, uh, but I know a hell of a lot about the internal development of all three of the Xbox consoles, um, but mm. most notably the original one and who were the power players and what they did and whatnot. Um, and one thing I do like about some of the insights I'll have here today is that I will give you who these people are, but also what they did and how they kind of came to be into their positions. These will not be long. Like as Jam can probably see on our notes, we're talking a sentence mm. here, but it lets you know kind of how they got into this stuff in case you want to get into something other than games press. Because I'm going to tell you right now, aside from my personal slow deranged um, <laughs> rep uh, reputation and shall I say relationship with games press, it's dying out. There are fewer and fewer places to do it. And what you're going to be doing nowadays may not be what you would traditionally think of as games press. And I'm going to go on record right now and say my favorite of right now, or my, my favorite new up and comer is vice gaming uh, waypoint, shall I say. And I don't think they're going to have openings for a long time. I think that team is set in its ways. So um, yeah, so maybe you want to work in games. Maybe you want to make games. Well, there's some great places to look. First one, of course, being the Idle Thumbs podcast. But the second one might be today with some insights on how people at Microsoft got to where they were. So yeah, just something to think about. Absolutely. But anyway, um, the other thing I want to mention right off the bat, uh, just so people don't prepare too heavily, is Jam, I looked at the calendar and I've made a boo-boo. Um, Oops. Jam gives plenty of insight on the shows, but he usually leaves the scheduling part up to me. And the big <laughs> boo-boo I made was, <clears throat> well, 
We record this on Tuesdays. There are five Tuesdays in November, and I didn't account for that. So Oops. <laughs> that would have put next week, December the 6th, as our first part of the uh, the Sleeping, Sleeping Dogs. Dogs Game Club. The problem is, is that especially if you're waiting for, uh, you know, our special promotion we did with uh, Square and Microsoft, where you get it free as <laughs> your games for gold. Yeah, the, <laughs> we we had to sacrifice our Gaming History 101 name um, because. Mm-hmm. There was this licensing deal with YouTube and some teenage fucking kid, and so they don't they don't want to use the name. So I totally get it. I totally get it. But they've been willing to pull us a solid and give it away to all Xbox One owners with live for the month of December. Um, adamant to make it easier for everybody. I should also point out I've made a deal with Square. Again, they they gotta use this like Black Friday Cyber mm-hmm. Monday deal as like their excuse, but they're doing it for us. Um, you can buy tangible copies of Sleeping Dogs, uh, both regular and definitive edition, on any console right now, today, on Square's mm-hmm. website. And no, we don't get any kickback. This is just a promotional thing. Um, uh, for five bucks. Tangible copy sent to your house. Five bucks. Uh, it's also five bucks on Steam. And so, yeah, there's several ways you can get your five hands bucks on everywhere. Sleeping Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Right now, yes. Um, all for us. So I thank you, Square. You know. Mr. So the, um, Square the long Enix, time the sort of, I guess the the long time PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Sixty people that still hold on to those consoles, you might have already got the game for free in those ones as well. Yes, <laughs> I think yes. it was like so, Games of Gold, and and it was a <laughs> it was PlayStation Plus also on the PS Three. So you're you're pretty covered. Uh, you might have to buy some DLC on the PS Three. So maybe the definitive the edition is the way to go. But. Um, with that in mind, uh, yeah, we're going to have to delay that show. I don't want to do it next week because that's so close. Okay. Plus, it kills our whole mojo for the month. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to do a different show next week. And Jam and I haven't had a chance to look at that. Uh, so we're not going to announce what that show is going to be next week. But uh, stay tuned. Follow the Twitter. You'll find out. Um, but we're going to delay that till the 13th. So yeah, you have till the 13th to get in your game club information. I believe I've already updated the game club, uh, main page with that new date, mm-hmm. but if not, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, so again, you gotta get to the wedding mission and any side content you can do up to that point, uh, complete the wedding mission. You don't have to like quit if you get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, that'll be the 13th and then part two will be, uh, recorded live on the 27th. Of course, these will go live the subsequent, the, the following day. Wednesday the 14th in the pre-recorded format and Wednesday the 28th in the pre-recorded format. Um, but if you're going to do it live, you have the 13th and the 27th to complete the game. So we are going to discuss DLC just in case people are wondering. Most people say that to play it safe, you need to do both DLCs after you finish the game uh, due to some spoilers. But the, there's definitely one that's clearly to be done right after the end of the game. So I, I believe it calls itself out, but I'm not going to do them either of them until afterwards. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so... Game Club's been shifted one week. No big deal. More content, whatnot. But uh, just letting people know. So, <coughs> and pardon my cough. I'm a little sniffly <laughs> today. Um, Me too. Yep. Bit yeah, of cold going it's on. going around. I caught the uh, thanks killing fever. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, which, I am going over that. <laughs> which 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 didn't cause a hangover, but uh, but I I have not been. Uh, Felt alcohol like oh, that. Oh, yeah, you had 40. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 40s are 40s are not what they... Actually, my wife tells me they are exactly what they used to be. They are affecting me oh, <laughs> much more than they, they used to. So, yeah, a shot of whiskey and a 40 just knocked me back. Uh, but, hey, 
Um, but we do have emails. So I want to read a couple emails, of them. Yes. Go to uh, if you want to contact us, it's contact at GamingHistory101.com or hit the contact link in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, please send us your Game Boy Top 10s. We have had four people nice enough to send us their Game Boy Top 10s. I would like to get six more in so that we can have a good, clean Top 10, one of which of those people, Jam, is uh, mm-hmm. Neo Jake. Jake, who did our opening theme song you hear at the beginning of most episodes, mm. um, he had to, he kind of just took a step back from podcasting and gaming for a little while, just not, not for any particular reason. It just happens. Uh, and now he's back. Happens, yes. So he, he decided Excellent. to come in swinging with a Game Boy Top 10 that he said took him more Sweet. than one hour to narrow down from like, I think, 20 or 40 down to 10. That so, sounds like my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he struggled like you. Um, uh, more than I did. So, um, also stay tuned. This is one other thing before we get into the, the email, stay tuned, uh, on your podcast feeds. The podcast is hands down the largest reach. We have the most listeners, most downloads, most responses from the podcast. So I'm going to use that to help you help us figure out how we're going to fundraise for, uh, this year. As you may not be aware, we are a fully community funded podcast and have been for at least three years running, maybe longer. But we need your help again. We don't cost much to operate, as people will see. Um, I don't know if I should be forthcoming about the amounts, but we will. I will tell you it is under $200. And that just gets us good to go. And so last year, I tried to do a 24-hour live cast. Uh, I think I made it, what, 16, 18 hours before you, passing out. You did better than that. <laughs> I think you're on the 20 mark. Okay, maybe <laughs> I made it 20. But either way, I didn't make it as far as I wanted to. I wanted to go 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. and I didn't quite nail it. Um, but I want to do something like that again, but I want to know from you if that's what you're looking for. Do you want live streams? Do you want special episodes? Do you want live episodes? Do you want call-in episodes? Do you want audio? Do you want video? Do you want a pre-recorded video? Do you want, you know, a post-recorded video? You know, what, what is it that you really want? Um, and we'll try to do our best to get those things going and then figure out how we're going to do this fundraising stuff. Our dues are always due in March, so we've got some time to plan for it. And I'm thinking we'll probably do it sometime around January. Uh, the last part is with the live stream stuff we haven't been able to integrate jam too much jam if your internet gets into a good place i'd love to use the xbox one and various other streaming platforms to integrate you as well um worst case scenario maybe you and i can play some psn or xbox live stuff and i can stream from my console but i'd prefer to have it be a game city See, that's tempting, and we could definitely do something like that. But if we did it, I also like the idea of like games where we're both on the screen at the same time, so it's not from my oh, yeah. perspective. You know what I mean? Because I run around like an idiot a lot of the times, so that can make something like Gears not as interesting. <laughs> right, right. But you put us both together on like Castle Crashers, and not necessarily Castle Crashers, or even uh, Final Fight. Huh? Final Fight on 360? Uh, or PS3? Uh, you know, we can do stuff like that. So, uh, let us know what you want to see, but I definitely want to hopefully do some live streaming and hopefully integrate jam with it. So stay tuned for that. All those details will come out in a podcast, but it will be listed as like special announcement crowdfunding or something. And I want people to know about that. We also have a Patreon um, that is not active. Uh, I might activate it for the holiday season. So uh, like for, for when that, not for the holiday season, for when that live stream goes as a single project. So any of you who have donations pending out there, you'll get a message way before it goes live and you'll get a second message when I set a a live date. So just stay tuned for it. But uh, anyway, Clue Drew says, did I get your top 10? I did get your top 10. Um, All right. So let's jump into 
uh, some of the yep. feedback. Sawan's made a suggestion already. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's one. Yep, we've done a we've done a game club we've on right, Guardian Heroes, but we could definitely play through it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yes, and I am writing it down right now on my pen and paper. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, all right. <laughs> you can hear him. <laughs> so starting uh, is I, I never can tell what you guys can and can't hear. So that's uh, good to know. <laughs> um, so, all right. First one comes from Andrew, man with good taste. Uh, oldie but a goodie. Um, he writes in and says, variety pack of feedback. He said, firstly, I want to congratulate Fred on getting better as a video games podcast host. Woo! I am vindicated <laughs> by uh, Andrew. Uh, as evident to my last Kart Racer podcast, you have become quite good on remembering to summarize the game discussed to the listeners whilst before you could just assume everyone listening had played it and skip any description. Great work, my man. Well, thank you. I'm going to be working on that even more with some of the videos I'm doing because a lot of people have given that feedback as well. They're like, hmm, your videos, you really assume a lot of people have played a lot of stuff you have. And our audience is getting younger, Jam, not older. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, which good is point. not good bad, <laughs> but it's it's different. So, but uh, he's a second to add to the ever growing sky high wall of video game trivia. Diddy Kong Racing Two was in fact in development for a short time. However, after barely building anything, Rare's developers decided that instead of a racing game uh, with a dinosaur world and a dinosaur driver, it would be way cooler to make an action adventure game set on a dinosaur planet. So, uh -huh, yeah. the Barely oh, Begun Racing good. Game was quickly retooled into Dinosaur Planet. <laughs> Fate would be cruel to this project as later in develop, uh, as late in development, Nintendo's big guys, with great kindness, forced developers to change Dinosaur Planet into Star Fox Adventures. The rest is the yep. history everybody knows. See our previous episodes for those. <laughs> I said that, he didn't. Uh, he says, P.S., I want to know if you know anyone who could tune up, repair, or replace a PS2 disk drive in addition to a region-free mod... Ooh. Uh, how to region free mod a PS2. Don't rush to help because I'm not actually asking for any. Just want a yes or no preemptive thanks. Uh, then I will simply say yes. Because <laughs> um, I don't even know if that was supposed to be read on the show. But yes, I do. And if anybody's curious about that, you know how to hit me up. <clears throat> Fred is the man's go to. Yes. Anything tech based. People <laughs> have been wanting to. Uh, that, that, that how to run games off of a USB pen drive is killing me, man. So many people, yeah. the first thing I say on there is you need a free McBoot memory card. And maybe people think I just like to call Sony memory cards free McBoot. I don't know. <laughs> but they're always like, yeah, I put the official memory card in nothing. I said, well, do you have a free McBoot memory card? What's that? And I'm like, I have fucking stuff pop up. There's stars in the description. Oh, my God. I have that conversation daily. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> a day in the life of Fred. That's what our stream should be. <laughs> oh, man. It's like I want to do the Xbox one. It, it, what's funny is the more technical one, like the PS2 hard drive one, mm. never get complaints. No questions, no nothing. Very few views. Uh, but the people who use it have all re replied back with like, this is the definitive easy way and you give us all the software we need to do it. You can literally take a PS2 fat and a hard drive and through my video with the software link that I give you, that's not to a mega upload site, it's just a direct download. You can mod a PS2 like that. You have to have a PS2 fat with a hard drive, but no problems with that one. The USB one though, the, the modern day gen where they think they can run into Micro Center, pay five bucks for a six gig... Uh, usb stick and suddenly pirate the entire playstation library with the drop of a hat that's a little harder to deal with uh especially because i don't know if you know this jam but you can't make a free mic boot memory card unless you 
have a modded PS2? Oh, they don't like that answer. They don't like the answer <laughs> that they can't make it on their own. And I'm like, well, you can't. Then why'd you make the mm -hmm. video? Because there are lots of people with free McBoot memory cards who are still using burn discs and killing the laser of their PS2, which may or may not be why Andrew was asking me about the laser. <laughs> anyway. Um, You're uh, You're yeah, sorry, Andrew. No implications there. I'm not saying that's why it burned out. Lots of PS2s, the laser burns out just playing regular, old, boring games. Anyway. Uh, so next up, from Dave. Dave's... Uh, uh, in our chat, I believe. So, hello, Dave. Thank I you for so. the email. He says, uh, how I found you is the subject. He says, hey, Fred and Jam. I love your site and wanted to let you know how I found you. I was on another retro website and I was looking for a podcast for my favorite video game, Chrono Trigger. They didn't have it. Um, I went and did a Chrono Trigger podcast search, first hit Gaming History 101. I love that that's the case. That's, that's, that's it. fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I thought there loads of Chrono Trigger sort of. Like, there probably are, but like if you search Chrono Trigger podcast, maybe. So, ah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I then did. Well, mind you, people think I'm crazy for every time I post a podcast calling it podcast colon Chrono Trigger Game Club or something. That's why, SEO at ah. its at its finest. Mm -hmm. I then did a Google search for my second favorite game, Secret of Mana. First hit. Gaming History 101. Excellent. Boom. I enjoyed that one. That was fun. <laughs> Did the same thing for Super Metroid and again, Gaming History 101. That's awesome. The trifecta. That's all I need. Uh, it kind of does explain though, Jam, why some of the feedback I get on like random just comments on Twitter and stuff like that uh, seem to hit mm -hmm. at least one or two of these uh, all the time. So went to the gaming did, did, did history we did super metroid <laughs> right yeah because i didn't want to do that one <laughs> i'm glad we did it was a great game but i didn't want to do it um i went to the gaming history 101 archive and found so many great retro gaming uh podcasts i downloaded many of them and now my drive to work listening to them has made my drive so much better please keep awesome. up the good work i love every minute of it well thank you very much dave mm. um you know, Jim, I got to tell you, uh, we I've been getting a lot of this lately. Um, these people know who they are, and they didn't specifically give me permission to talk about it. But this is not the first person I've heard that said like, oh, I, I really like that I found this podcast, and I really like that, uh, you know, it's somewhat timeless. Uh, I, I will admit that uh, Dave and some others have given me feedback that like, much like this episode, we ramble on so much in the beginning before we get to the topic that it can make it difficult if you weren't listening from point to point. And for that, I apologize. Course, um, yeah, yeah. Although it is community stuff up front, so I think we're getting better. Uh, because at, at first, I you know I made this podcast, and it was more about uh, once I had a, a co-host, Jam, who was actually just a listener who uh, was kind enough and, and insane enough to join me. Um, <laughs> uh, <Not> definitely me. <laughs> but uh, but other than that with the guests and stuff there would always be some chit chat beforehand because that's all i knew was traditional podcasting um hmm. and you know especially today getting geared up for today's show with a lot of research and stuff this is in my opinion not a traditional podcast and i don't even know if retro podcasts as a whole are traditional podcasts and i think that is one thing that we do add um, to that stuff. So, and for those of you who out there, uh, there's about four or five of you that have reached out recently and said it was, it's just really great to have this. And it's, it's really been a great podcast to listen to. And they like that we interact and we respond to emails and we are just small enough that we can usually respond to most things. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think that's a good thing. And I think that that goes toe to toe with the whole community funding thing. Jam and I don't like to be under the gun and we have lives as well. And so while our content output may not be the most massive in the world, we get to avoid the grind of that co- content output. You know, uh, friends of our yeah. show, watch out for fireballs. They have ballooned, man. Their Patreon takes in thousands of dollars a month. They are flying around to retro conventions and doing all kinds of stuff. That being said, they shit so much content. And I don't even mean shit. Like when I say that, that almost makes it seem natural. They crank <laughs> out that. so much hard-earned That's content on a regular basis. Yeah. I could never keep up with that. And my quality would never be at their quality level. Um, they can dedicate themselves to that output in a way that just the life I've created and the way I do things doesn't afford. Um and good for them. Kudos to them. Um, but with that in mind, uh, that's why I do like our low key thing. One simple fundraiser doesn't take too many people. I think, you know, we usually get between 10 and 30 donations each time we do it and we hit our marks and we do great. And I think that's about that, you know, and if we do a great year, if somebody comes in, some big money bags guy comes in and please don't think I'm suggesting you do this, by the way, if you're listening, but, and we get this huge donation. Yeah. I mean, Jam and I have often talked about Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which would be fantastic or MAGFest or something. Uh, the big catch is I'd really like Jam to be there with me. And, you know, once you throw in a flight from, you know, he throw to <laughs> Portland, <laughs> you're already cranking up that price. Uh, uh, but, uh, but hopefully we can make something work. So, but, uh, <laughs> near 300 retro game podcast is not a lot of content since when, okay, there you go. But it takes a long time. Yeah. We don't, we don't cr- We, we have been weekly. We've almost missed, never missed a show. Uh, we've missed a couple oh, we of weeks, but pretty well, actually. yeah, very rarely do we miss a show, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming to build all that up. Plus I get sidetracked. And I do video projects. Remember there was this thing called cron CD I was going to keep doing. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it comes in and out. So I'm not consistent either. I can't keep up with anything. But the the show will always go on. That much I can promise. And Jam, at least for now, will always go on. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so um, so this is a thank you to all of you out there, and and you Jam, and and from us to to everybody. Like this is this is why we do it, and it's fantastic. So thank you. And if you're a new listener, and you haven't heard a show like Welcome. this. Yeah, welcome, and you're kind of in for a treat of uh, fact throwing before we just go off the cuff and talk about games today. So, <laughs> but uh, with that in mind, um, there was also a really long comment, and it, we're just running long, so I'm going to move on. But Chase, thank you, got your stuff on our Facebook. We do have a Facebook, I do believe it's facebook.com forward slash gaming history 101. Um, probably you'll know if you see the logo and lots of our podcasts and stuff. Um, but I had recently written an expose about how Nintendo never really understood the retail market, but now it's biting them in the ass. So you can go check mm. that on the main site. Um, but uh, Chase wrote some great comments about it uh, and I need to look into it. So I, I might bring it up next week or something, but about uh, just, just whether or not that's all working uh, towards uh, Towards my uh, towards uh, Nintendo's benefit, like how do they do sales wise? Even though we perceive that they don't have anything on the shelves and no one's buying it, so mm. I'm looking into that chase. But anyway, all right, sir, you ready to talk about the Xbox? Oh. Time to talk about the ex- the, du- the sex the box. Xbox? No, <laughs> the direct <laughs> Xbox. Yes, the sex box is something completely different, <laughs> and we'll, we'll not be talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I wish I had something fun like an Xbox uh, uh, theme song or something. Let's see if there is something like that, but I don't think there is. I put an OG Xbox theme. Oh, okay, you ready for this? Here we go. 
This is the theme that plays before any demo disc that came from official Xbox Magazine and other Xbox... uh, I should point out, not from Xbox Magazine, but from actual, like, Microsoft-funded demo discs. Mm. This particular one was taken from the Sega GT 2002-slash-Jet Set Radio Future. And this song, Mm. in specific, was made by Oman Tobin, who we've talked about on previous episodes. But anyway... It's very subtle, that Xbox thing. It's not like, Sega! Um, But uh, anyway... (laughs) Uh, so yeah and most people will just use the Halo soundtrack I'm aware of that <laughs> there is that soundtrack of course when you boot up the Xbox that we kind of like build yeah if you want me to do that one explosion. I think I can do it you ready let's see if I got it yeah yeah go, go for it here we go alright come on come on here it, we go <laughs> it's, it's building it's building it starts quiet here we go. <laughs> there we go. There you Sweet. go. And uh, <laughs> just word to the wise for you YouTube people, 24 seconds is a little long to have your opening graphic <laughs> before you start the actual tone that is four seconds long. <laughs> It's a 30-second video. I had no idea the tone comes in at 24 seconds. But anyway. Um, but yes. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. DMX. I'd love to. Uh, licensing rights and whatnot. We're going to stray away from that a little bit. Um, but yes. <laughs> it's the original Xbox, a.k.a. the direct Xbox. And if you don't know that story, you are going to learn it today. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. That release. This is... Uh, I, we should point out, this is... This is not the first. In fact, video games would technically start in America. But this is the first Mm. console from a major uh, U.S. manufacturer that was successful in a long time. You, mm. those of you who are insane like me may note that Philips did have the CDI and, uh, the 3DO company had the 3DO most notably through Panasonic or Gold Star. Um, and then, of course, there was the Laser Active. But I don't know that anyone would consider those, by any stretch of the imagination, a console competitor. <laughs> so, And while Sega was very in touch with its American branch, um, Sega, who won't even be around at the time of the Xbox anymore... Um, I'm still a Japanese company through and through. Yes, yes. Well, the Xbox is the Dreamcast too, after all. And I will substantiate (laughs) this argument more and more as we go. But but yeah, Sega Sega was very much a Japanese-run company, especially at the end there with the Dreamcast, um, as was Sony and Nintendo. Um, I also think that's why there is so much information out there about the Xbox. And I will definitely explain Mm. how to get that information at the end of the show. Um, Or as we go along, I will mention a book or two. Um, But uh, Absolutely. But yeah, I think it's that tendency we see. And we also saw this in the Genesis era with uh, Sega uh, on Tom Kalinske on the Sega of America side. Uh, Americans are very quick to talk about themselves, their business and what they did. The Japanese, not so much. Nintendo... Get the fuck off if you think they're going to let you talk about it. And they're going to fire your ass if you go on any podcast and even talk about liking development on a show. So, yeah, you're not going to get Nintendo people to talk too much. You're definitely not going to get Sony people to talk too much. Maybe now more than before, but especially in the days of Ken Kutaragi and before, you're you're not. Um, 
and Sega is pretty closed-lipped. That's why you learn so much all the way up to mid midway through the Saturn, and then everything kind of shuts down again. So, um, you know, I think that's why it's notable. Uh, again, Atari. That's the other American company that I was talking about, um, which, uh, you know, Atari, you... That's a well-told story. <laughs> yes. So I guess the, the the last sort of American console before the Xbox was the Jaguar, wasn't it? That'd be the most recent. Oh shit! You brought that up too. Yeah, I forgot about the Jaguar. Uh, yeah, and the Jaguar. Uh, sorry, I know it's called the Jaguar, but I love the way the Jaguar, Europeans Jaguar. say Jag Jaguar. Uh, mostly Jaguar. from the from the from your your lovely uh, television commercials Cars. for the car. But uh, mm-hmm. and again, Derek's gonna hate me for saying this, but I don't think the Jaguar oh, yeah. was all that successful. Um, it nope. had some good games. He was in the chat earlier. <laughs> yeah, I have a dozen of their games on the console, but uh, you know, hey, so. Um, so this, uh, you know, many would argue, whether you're a fan or not of Microsoft, uh, that, uh, that this is a, a, a very American console. It is very successful. It, it literally changed the business plans of Microsoft. It took a slow course of about 15 years, but it did. Um, and I'm going to even go so far as to say, and Jam, I want you to chime in on this when I'm done saying mm-hmm. it that I think Xbox and Microsoft changed the view of what a console should be and what a console needs to be for everybody else. No, I, I always kind of agree with that, really. It's, um, it's kind of like you were saying earlier, the, the development and the people that sort of made this console were kind of very heavily ingrained in the PC side of things, which, um, is which and, and I think that was kind of what's, it's it's quite fascinating of how it's designed, but I think that's kind of what was needed really to uh, make the console what it was, and more importantly, to make it successful in the West, of course. Um, yes, lead to its kind of ongoing popularity. Yes, and it, it's very interesting because, as these stories will show, um, there's very much uh, you can almost explain every decision that's made about the OG Xbox by it's a bunch of PC guys making a console. Um, so pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but we'll give examples as to what they said and why and who said it. I like never before have I seen so many executives talk about this stuff and just to get in front of this, the reason this has happened is because Microsoft continues to change. And when Microsoft had to change its guard from the very unpopular, uh, Don Matrick, uh, over to the yeah. at least slightly more popular Phil Spencer, um, pop, pop, you know, like that. <laughs> I, I, well, I find Phil Spencer to be great. I think he's a fantastic like face of Xbox. Um, but I know mm. not everybody feels that way. And he's he's guilty of his own bullshit sometimes. He likes his sometimes. Battletoads t-shirts. Yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, one of the things I don't like about Phil Spencer. You're not one of us. Don't wear the fucking t-shirt <laughs> under the blazer. No, he's a gamer. Trust me, he's a gamer. I know, I know. But the, the, the t-shirt under the blazer, that's as laughable as I forget which one it was. Uh, hold on. Let me look at the, the list of guys that were on the stage. I want to say it was Otto Burkles, but it might have been somebody else. He was the DirectX team lead. Uh, wore the uh, the hoodie with the blazer over it. So he had the hood up and the hoodie. Then he put yeah. a blazer over that. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And I could just about yeah, go weird. on for days about Jay Allard's wardrobe over the years. But um <laughs> That being said, um, when Phil took over, there was this weird time where a lot of the former and current Microsoft executives started doing a bunch of interviews that I'm fairly certain Microsoft was okay with and might have even been prompted. And they all came mm. through IGN. IGN still one of oh, the I largest websites. Yeah, right. yeah. 
They're called Unfiltered. They were also on some Xbox podcast Unlocked. And I notoriously hate IGN as a as as an outlet right now. I don't think they sweat the details. And I'm not talking about little stuff. I'm talking about just mm. candidly mentioning on a show, oh, well, we have all access to free games way before you guys do, and we never think about buying them. So that's why I like the $150 edition. No. You know, that's not a good way to talk to your audience. You know, Um, the exception to that, and he started everywhere I hate, like official Xbox magazine. I hated that magazine when it was out. I love the demo disc, but I hated the magazine. Um, I don't think I even brought it. Well, there you go. Um, Ryan McCaffrey. Ryan McCaffrey is a veteran Mm -hmm. over at IGN, and he was the one who was allowed to do these episodes and these interviews, and they're fantastic. And so to a certain extent, this is going to be a large culmination of those interviews. But I'm kind of sweating the details, so you don't have to listen to five hours of interviews just to get simple stuff. And I'm kind of piecing it all together as well. But that that is a major source for a lot of this information uh, because he was the only one who had access to it. And Ryan, we've met mm-hmm. once or twice. I know of you. I have your business card. I remember 2009. It was great. Uh, we had a great time at that bar. But, um, you know, I doubt you listen. But if you do, thank you very much for all you do. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the Xbox. Um, I'm going to go back and forth with this one, Jam. But, yeah. Yeah. You will hear from Jam on this. I'm not going to leave this whole thing. I've got, I've got the nights. Yeah, I've got, I've got the farming. But uh, yeah, the release date, November 15th, 2001 in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. That puts it just under 15 years old, or just over 15 years old. Um, and there's a very important US date right around that same time that we'll get to a little bit, but I want to yeah. note that that's two months after 9-11. Um, yes. I'd love to say that affected... Well, I wouldn't love to say... It makes a better story if that affected the Xbox, its sales, its release, the people who made it, or anything like that. But the fact of the matter remains is that it didn't at all, in any way, shape, or form. Um, It might have weighed down. All Americans were weighed down by it, but it had nothing to do with it. But at the same time, the Xbox, for those that grabbed it and loved it at launch, it didn't save them from the tragedies that happened at 9-11 either. It wasn't there. there I've never heard the story of, and then I got an Xbox, and things were just a little bit better. Um, and I think it's because the Xbox did not have a great launch, as we'll discuss. It was not widely regarded. It was the first console I ever bought on eBay for less than retail price. I think it launched wow. it. Did it launch at two ninety nine ninety nine? I'm fairly. I think certain. I remember being three hundred over in the UK. Yeah. Okay. I think in America it was also Microsoft's always been pretty dog terrible to you guys about <laughs> pricing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. But uh, I think it was three hundred dollars at launch here. Did not come with a pack-in, and I believe I bought it on eBay for two seventy-five, free oh, shipping, wow. and it came with mm. Halo. Um, oh, that's, so yep, yep, that's a good. That deal. just <laughs> tells you right there the demand of this thing. It was not selling out, and it was not hard to find, especially at the American launch. And it did not have people love to go back and talk about how Halo was destined to become this great thing. I have quotes here. Mm. I have quotable shit that will yeah. show you that nobody was walking into Microsoft's launch the Xbox is launched thinking it was going to be good. And I don't even know I, if you would argue that it was necessarily good. Halo was good, but everything else. Oh about yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. So we'll get there, but um, it did launch February 22nd, 2002 in Japan. Microsoft bet on the wrong horse for that one. They really did. <laughs> Japan was very console focused at this time. The portables was not a big deal. Like cell phones hadn't been the craze yet. They were getting there. They weren't there yet. And Microsoft thought it would be best to, transfer all of its uh, resources over to Japan for a Japanese launch uh, coming out a month later, March 14th, 2002 in Europe and Australia. 
But the PAL console late has compromises. It, not only is it late <laughs> to the party, the PAL console has a lot of compromises. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah, they use age-old tricks. If you're not familiar with this, Jam, they use age-old tricks to uh, converting frame rate, which is not good, speeding up and slowing down um, mm. for a lot of games. Some games are downright choppy. Um, the mm. PAL to NTSC conversion and vice versa is not great. You guys didn't even get surround sound or, um, or high def out of the box. You have to mod mm. the console for it. So and yep, I don't, yep, did, we you, did. <laughs> did you guys get the component cables or no? We, I think you guys have to no, import we, we had the SCART, cables. We had SCART cables. SCART cables. Okay, so you could RGB it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, component and high def, especially the 480p, 720p, and 1080i. Uh, mostly I'm thinking of 480p and the handful of 720p games. Those are like quintessential for modern day gamers who want to play this console. Um, and so the idea that yours launched without that was just crazy. Mm. <laughs> and there was you little... Could, the... What? Sorry. So you could you could buy the cables later, as you say. Sai mm-hmm. One saying, uh, "Bloody pal, always get the raw end of the bargain." You usually do, but you guys got oh, SCART do, from yeah. day one. RGB SCART <laughs> is a big one for me. But Andrew says, "Question: Will you go into why Microsoft decided to make a console despite already owning a PC gaming market?" Yes, we will. Yes. In fact, that's where this story <laughs> starts. We're going to start with the history of the console before the development of it. And Jam, mm-hmm. why don't you kick it off again? These are predominantly yep. my notes, so Jam, I will bump in here when need be, and you Absolutely. feel free to ask me about stuff. But uh, I'm going to have you just start with uh, Ed and go all the way to Robbie. So, so is it Ed Freeze or Fries? Yep, Ed Freeze. Ed okay, Freeze right. Yeah, excellent. Good. I'm getting better with my names, you see. Oh, I, you're I good. before I start the show you're today. Good. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> the oh, and I should <laughs> point out right off the bat, the big gap in this whole thing is Jay Allard, who was kind of quintessential to Xbox Live. He w- became a recluse after being a fucking rock star on the 360 days, <laughs> and uh, he has never done a, an interview of any kind. So that's why there are some weird gaps with, uh, with, with yeah. Jay Allard. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, Ed Freeze is where we, our story begins. He's the co-creator of Microsoft Excel. Um, he ran uh, Microsoft Game Studios during the um, original Xbox and is responsible for the key acquisitions, most notably Bungie, who obviously we'll get to very soon. Um, yep. So according to Fry's, uh, Microsoft Game Studios' acquisition of Bungie in the late 90s led to Halo's official, officially being part of the Xbox and was probably responsible for the ex- success of the Xbox. Yeah, I will say that Microsoft is pretty humble by saying if Halo hadn't taken off, if it had just been the okay yeah. game most published or most uh, uh, games press thought it was going to be, the Xbox probably never would have made it from a uh, deficiency standpoint, a funding and deficiency standpoint. Because remember, Microsoft published the game, so they made yes. more profits. They didn't just make their $10 licensing fee. They made staggering profits mm-hmm. off of it so anyway and they still do off the series to this date yes yes <laughs> <laughs> excuse me um so um, anyway so freeze he comes from a background background of programmer he started in basic and went to assembly all self-taught like many programmers for the era and he focused on games hired right out of college microsoft hold on give me just one second my thing's just gone off <laughs> oh no <laughs> sorry about this Hired right out of college at Microsoft for for Excel, he received a bachelor 
of computer science and he started as a junior programmer for the lead then led a small team and then became the lead for excel should, should we clarify i know it sounds silly saying this but should we clarify excel is that group-based thing microsoft excel <laughs> is a spreadsheet program that at the time yeah. was taking on quicken and to a certain extent word per- perfect but quicken was the big competitor yeah. back when freeze would join i believe he joined microsoft in 86 no 96 <laughs> sorry <laughs> but uh yeah but excel's a big deal basically is in case everybody... <laughs> i know a lot of people that are listening to this will probably be aware of that but just because i was thinking of earlier when we said we've got more maybe younger people so just well, a fun what... fact that has nothing to do with this excel started mm-hmm. life as a mac program microsoft made mac i didn't programs even know before that. they made windows <laughs> programs are you fucking crazy <laughs> That's great. That is great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, he stuck with Microsoft and that's, that was the key to his success, basically. Yeah, his um, whole story is just... this guy quit and then I got his job. Then this guy quit and I got his job. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of where we lead on to next. So he assisted in Word, which is obviously the word processing program that Microsoft had, and was about to take on PowerPoint, which is the... <laughs> Well, you try that? Uh, that's the presentation PowerPoint. software. Presentation yes. program. Yeah. Flash for dummies. So, <laughs> so he was going from Word to PowerPoint when he applied for the games business lead role. But this is where it gets a bit funny, really, because the executives at Microsoft considered it career suicide and they warned against it, which yes. I can completely agree with at that, this sort of time, really. Because remember, sort of going into a game studio in the West, you know, because where it was because Japan was still like the dominant sort of people really for that sort of stuff. I can see why they might've said that. Well, and there's another thing you need to think about at this point, Microsoft, like with Excel, they went from 10% or 20% market share to like 90% market share in a few years. And then when he helped out with word, they were like 80% market share. And when we're talking about market share, like think about that. Think about how many entities had Microsoft Office then and even now. You're talking more money than Xbox brings in, I think. Um, Mm. So the idea that you are quickly working your way up to be in charge of Microsoft Office, right? He's he's painting a picture here of eventually yeah. taking over Microsoft Office, which gets you a very nice seat at the executive's table and a very oh, yeah. big part of the profit and loss, you know, discussions at the end of the year. Uh, if you guys have never worked for a major corporation, there's always the profit and loss party. And usually your spouse is not allowed to go, which is why a lot of people fuck their secretaries. Anyway, um, because they get drunk <laughs> at these parties with them. But if you're an internal you know, member of the team. And I mean, every member of the team, maybe not the environmental people like the janitors or the mailroom, but everybody else is there. The secretaries, the executive, the administrative assistants, the, 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 the small guys, the big guys, the junior programmers, the major guys, the biz dev guys, they're all there and they get you together in this huge, like Sheridan office. And yes, I am speaking from personal experience. Um, and, uh, and then they, 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 give out free drinks and you guys get to see the profit and loss and what the teams did at the major thing. And usually a celebrity comes out and gives away the employee of the year award and everything. And your spot at those tables at that thing. And then afterwards there's a reception where you're forced to dance with your coworkers, which is how you end up fucking your secretary anyway. Um, and you're at a hotel <laughs> anyway. So the, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's kind of work, the job, the work's done for you. Uh, and no, I didn't fuck my secretary. I didn't even have a secretary anyway. <laughs> I think that's um, why I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that question was coming. I didn't No, I, I, 
said anything, I was the secretary and I was getting fucked, just not literally. Oh. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so the point being, all kidding aside, is yeah, that's a huge role. Um, and to this day, I don't know if I would say, I don't know if I'd call it career suicide anymore, but I would say even now, if you were looking to kind of climb that racket in, in Microsoft on the office side, the idea of going over to the, even the Xbox side, even to replace Phil, Phil Spencer, which they would not let you do anymore. Um, it would not, it would be at best a lateral move and it's an uphill battle. So, and, and again, they want him to lead Microsoft game studios, which did not exist until this point, but well, no, maybe it did, but it wasn't anything. This was like their initiative to like start taking over PC gaming as Andrew in the mm. chat kind of referred to, but anyway, so you can kind of see why that's all said as such, but anyway, moving on. So as down as the lead of the Microsoft Game Studios, um, Ed Freeze started filling up a portfolio of games. Um, he acquired Bungie in his time, and he almost acquired Westwood Studios, obviously famous for Command and Conquer. Um, yeah. And eventually, Microsoft Studios became a gaming force to be reckoned with, with somewhere around 500 employees, which is that is a lot for this mm. sort of era. <laughs> really. Well, again, this is with all their game studios and everything, right? It should be yeah, noted absolutely. that uh, that Halo, when it was acquired, was um, uh... oh yes, yes, of course you can, Derek. Um, sorry, I, I just read a, a private thing from Derek. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was going to say, um, you know, 500 people uh, when, when Halo was acquired, remember they acquired the RTS Halo started life as an RTS. We've got a Halo episode for that, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk too much about Halo other than kind of its business side, but anyway, but yeah, 500 people, not a small team, but Freeze, not a small guy anymore. Remember, he was lead of Excel. I don't know how many people worked on Excel in like 1996 or whatever, but it was probably a decent number of people. And I realize my timelines are off. I don't remember when Ed Freeze started with Microsoft, but I think he got done with Office and he was lead on Excel around 96. So that's a big time for them. Um, that's a lot of employees. So, yeah, but he's mm -hmm. running a game studio of game studios. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then uh, for many years, of course, uh, Freeze, Freeze and his team were bombarded with console-like platforms to support, all of which they turned down. The most, of the, most of these were Windows CE support for Dreamcast, um, which the Microsoft Game Studios team rejected. And that's why Windows CE was always completely vacant from the Dreamcast. Mm -hmm. what, what does CE stand for? Okay. What was it? Consumer Edition? Uh, Windows CE was an operating system that was mostly on yeah. what they called pocket PCs, which were the Microsoft comp competitor to PAL. Uh, PAL. Mm. I'm having a PAL, PAL conversation in the chat. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> to Palm. Uh, I worked at a Radio Shack at this time uh, around 1999. And, um, and, you know, Palm and PowerPC were going toe to toe with each other. But a Palm was like 100 bucks up to 300 power pc started at 300 went up to 600 but they were colored screens and it was like portable versions of like windows 98 basically um you obviously see the windows ce logo on any dreamcast it says powered by windows ce and whatnot and while it can switch into a windows ce format i think there's only a handful of games that do it and i think quake 3 was the only one that really did it on dreamcast and then i know half-life was supposed to be running ce but uh, while CE was, <laughs> Andy, Windows Combat Evolved, um, 
<laughs> well, CE was touted. That's a good one. Um, you know, actually, Jim, you know, in the, the CE portion of Dreamcast, you know how that's used a lot nowadays in the modding community. You can buy a lot of, yeah, that's you can download a lot of homebrew and burn them to CDs and run them on your Dreamcast. Um, and they all utilize Windows CE. In fact, there's a great port, like a perfect port of day of the tentacle for the dreamcast <laughs> that even lets you use the mouse and keyboard for the dreamcast uh that uses windows ce so there you go so That's microsoft awesome. <laughs> was really pleased with that partnership but no one used it um and ed freeze's team had no interest in developing for it but that that you you get the feeling that they came to his team and said hey since you're making all these pc games why don't you make some windows ce games and he was like no no <laughs> not gonna do it uh so there you go but yeah but <clears throat> anyway, uh, so if we move on to our next person. Oh yes, and again, it's not always around people. It's just what I what I started with, uh, and and kind of ah. their stories because they all come together when we talk about the Xbox. So yeah, so okay, that was absolutely. Ed Freeze, and that's where he is. So when we start our story, Ed Freeze is now in charge of multiple studios, five hundred employees, and as Andrew hinted at. Microsoft Game Studios is kind of this PC powerhouse going into the late 90s. Like, at least in my opinion, maybe he was being facetious or hyperbolic, but if he's not, and my take on it was, yeah, they're acquiring companies and they're really building themselves up to be this really strong platform for PC gaming. Um, and it's important to note that during this whole time, there is no... There is no online game service. There is no Steam. Steam won't even come into play while the OG Xbox is in development or in, in production. Sorry. Um, maybe a small three-month overlap. But anyway. Uh, next up, not that important. Well, yeah, he's really important, actually, is Robbie Bach. Uh, he's, the <laughs> former, he's the former chief Xbox officer. There's not much about him, but anyway. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> he's the former chief Xbox officer. Uh, he was a business manager at Microsoft for 22 years and Xbox chief officer for 10, retired at the age of 49. Yes, kids, oh, that's it's nice. possible to retire at 49. And he started a second career, and he's a really cool guy. And the reason that I don't have a whole lot on him is I haven't read his book, which I'm going to talk about right here. This is not a pitch for his book. We get no kickback on his book. And he donates all of the proceeds, every cent that that book makes. Uh, to um, helping children's charities. So I do like that about him. Oh, that's cool. uh, but he's yeah. he's richer than God, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. But he, he talks about the concept of a Microsoft console that uh, came about. Um, and if you want to know a lot about it, about the entire origins, it, the book's called Xbox Revisited. And I checked. Yes, it's on Kindle. Yes, it's on Amazon. You, there's even a hardcover version Kindle. you can buy. Yes. I've bought it. I have not read it yet. And I, I buy paperback, though. Um, I'm, I'm a couple yeah, books yeah. away from it. So anyway... Uh, but basically, the concept of the Xbox uh, starts as an executive retreat when Rick Thompson, head of Microsoft Hardware, so like Microsoft mice and keyboards and definitely not a name brand out there, um, uh, was thinking about, Rick Thompson was thinking about doing a game console. Uh, anyway, um, he pitched uh, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer at this executive retreat uh, and started doing research. At the time, Thompson was tasked with doing, uh, sorry, Robbie, Robbie Bach was tasked with doing some research, but he said he only gave about 10% of his efforts at work to it. Then, of course, Rick Thompson um, uh, ends up leaving Microsoft for a startup. I don't know what startup, but I'm sure it's out there. And the project falls into Bach's lap, and he becomes full-fledged chief of Xbox, 100%. Your focus is this. And mm -hmm. it's with that in mind that Robbie Bach becomes... 
kind of the the head of Xbox, what Phil Spencer is now. So yeah. uh, next up, and I apologize for chatters if I'm avoiding the chat a little bit right now. I'm just reading notes. Um, so then we get to 1998. This is all kind of happening all at the same time, these, these points we're talking yep. about. But this is where, as Jam pointed out, uh, the four Microsoft DirectX managers these notable gents are Seamus Blackley, Kevin Batches, Ted Hayes, and DirectX team lead Otto Burkles went about not only um, not only pitching, but constructing a prototype console based off of old, I think they said it was old Dell computers they had wandering around the offices, um, making a prototype console that ran DirectX fueled by Windows as a PC console hybrid. My, how full circle we've come now. <laughs> but uh, this was when they involved Freeze because the concept would make would be to make a direct Xbox that would look like a console but would run PC games and that's how they would get all of Microsoft Game Studios projects. And this was the first time Freeze said, I like what you're putting down here. Let's do it. Mm. Um, you should note, I should note that their original vision was that you would boot into Windows on this box. They might hide it between like a front end, but it would be Windows running in the background. Um, this is quintessential to getting the project approved, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the other idea was you would put the disc in and you would get a fun little load screen, maybe a movie, maybe a mini game, while the disc was read and ripped to the hard drive of the console. The console would have a built-in hard drive, and you would play the games directly off the hard drive using the disc as a DRM authentication. Weird. Sound like anything we do today? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but anyway, there was a second internal Microsoft team, and this is very important, that were the original group that put Windows CE on Dreamcast. They were, And they were made up of a bunch of former Sega Dreamcast employees, Microsoft employees, and believe it or not, 3DO company employees. Trip Hawkins, 3DO company when it failed. So these are a bunch of hardware gurus, right? Because the 3DO is the first console mm. that was going to be like you know, you company make it to this spec and then it's like a PC, right? So technically the Xbox started life as the 3DO kind of found its OS through the Dreamcast and then hybrid together into what they wanted to do. But anyway, this team cost. wanted to make a true console though. It didn't run Windows, no hard drive, optical drive only, and it was intended to directly take on Sony and Nintendo. This console got all the way to Bill Gates who then selects the direct Xbox because it's more on strategy with Microsoft as a whole and more cohesive to the company. What you need to know is that he goes, okay, we're going to get console gamers to become PC gamers and we're going to do it with Windows on the back end and Microsoft is going to win out every which way because we'll make money off of the Windows platform that's on there, we'll make money off of the hardware, and we'll make money off of the games we're producing for it. That's why Bill Gates does it and that's why the upcoming Valentine's Day Massacre is such a big deal. So anyway, Jam, we'll, we'll, we'll put it over to you on the hardware side, but I'm going to just wrap up kind of how the xbox yeah, goes yeah. into its history but so most of the team members from the console then moved to the xbox team well guess what happens those people taint the xbox team um the team ends up heavily affecting the project and adjusting it to be more like a console at some point windows is dropped and bill gates is not told uh the system <laughs> it, wow yeah they call it prepping the boss uh you're prepping for what's about to happen when they present it um but anyway 
the system becomes closed off. It's not an open console anymore. Um, it doesn't install software to the hard drive while the game loads, etc. This comes to head as a whole when the project team meets on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2000 at 4 p.m. In what, where they tell Bill Gates that the Xbox no longer has Windows and it has been noted in a tongue-in-cheek form within Microsoft as the Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, I love that name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the Microsoft Valentine's Day Massacre, here's how it goes. The team makes this final pitch to Gates and this is where they get the sign off. If he does not sign off on the console, half the people in the room are immediately out of a job. And Ed Freeze very casually mentions the fact that he was completely safe at Microsoft Game Studios and while he didn't want people to lose their jobs, he didn't really care one way or the other, although he was confident that Xbox was a good choice. Um, but yeah, so apparently Gates throws down the pitch deck and says... <laughs> <laughs> this is yep. a direct quote um and i don't know uh, the the person who said the quote um which i i'm sorry i want to say it was freeze who did this but it might not have been but i think it was ed freeze who told this story he says this is a blanking insult to everything i've done at this company and from what i know about bill gates and his candor i believe he said this is a fucking insult to everything i've done at this company <laughs> Everyone's yeah. eyes immediate, immediately shoot to project director and designer Jay Allard, and no one has prepared Gates for this shock. Apparently, Freeze tries talking to him. Allard tries talking to him. Everybody but ba uh, Jay, uh, sorry, um, everybody but Steve Ballmer, who is you know kind of Gates's right hand and just sits there and agrees with uh -huh. Gates. Um, and this goes on for more than four hours of ranting and raving and them going around in circles about how they have to do this. And uh, Freeze tells it like it was tense, right? Because it's now eight o'clock oh, yeah. on Valentine's Day. And he goes, and executives at companies who usually have spouses at home who kind of run the house while we're busy being executives at companies count on this day for a very special reason and this yep. was a big deal for all of us <laughs> so eventually some random dude and he says it as some random dude he knows exactly who it is but he just didn't disclose who it was and he said this person was very big on the research side says raises his hand and just says to bill well what about sony and this is important because this speaks to Microsoft's fear that Sony was slowly trying to take over the living room and is a big potential threat because Bill Gates goes, what about Sony? What about Sony? Mm. All right, you're approved. I'm signing off on the whole thing. You have a blank check. Go make the Xbox. That's literally what he does. And wow. Bomber <laughs> steps up <laughs> and that. in classic Bomber fashion of those days, I hear, goes... Just as he said, you have a blank check. Here you go. We're going to take over Sony and this and that. But yes, there was this huge fear of Sony taking over the living room. And I wrote on a personal note, this is uh, actually not so stupid um, because mm -hmm. I loved the Xbox, the original. I loved the, I, I, I like the Xbox one a lot. In fact, I think uh, the PS4 has a lot to learn, maybe not tech wise, but I love kind of the atmosphere the Xbox one creates easy fanboys. Mm -hmm. I own them all. I play them all. Don't care. Um, Me too. but I did not like the 360. <laughs> I sold my 360, um, early into hat. Well, mm, yeah. Mm. Like around 2008, I sold my 360. Mm. Uh, I didn't yeah. sell it. Actually it red ringed. I got a replacement and I was so befuddled yeah. by that experience. I sold it. Um, mm -hmm. 
and went straight PS3. And so there was a time in my life uh, in the seventh generation, I think it's considered the PS3 generation, where I had a Sony Bravia TV with a Sony receiver, Sony speakers running a PlayStation 3, and that was all I had. And the it ran my Blu-rays Sony and everything. Man. I was a Sony <laughs> man. So Sony did take over the living room in some households. However, that's not to say Microsoft didn't also. But apparently that's kind of what causes this whole thing. Um, and the Xbox team does receive a blank check to go make the Xbox. So yes, Jay Allard kind of gets to do part of the hardware design and works a lot with the Xbox Live team. Meanwhile, Freeze goes off and he has to create a launch lineup for this console. Um, so we'll return to, uh, to software, but let's let's get on to hardware and the key players for hardware. And Jam, I know you hate me for doing this to you, but... Why don't you take no, no, off no, no. with hardware? <laughs> I'm going to give it my best shot. I might just surprise people. We'll see. <laughs> so sticking with um, James Allard, um, Chief Technology Officer of Entertainment and Devices at Microsoft. That is one hell of a mouthful of a title. Right. He was re- <laughs> yeah. He was responsible for TCP uh, slash IP on Windows 95 and Xbox. And the Zune. And the Zune. <laughs> he made the fucking Zune. <laughs> And Jay Allard will never come out of hiding because of that. I know, yeah. uh, Jay Allard often called the Eminem of um, of, uh, of of Microsoft corporate or of corporate execs. Um, if you guys have never seen or know of Jay Allard, go look him up. He was kind of like a fun, frumpy, chubby, weird networking guy that was really good at like just like fighting for the traditional consumer or the gamer. And then he lost a bunch of weight and got really thin and really health crazy, shaved his head, started looking real sharp. He looks 10 years younger when he changed and he became like Mm. the face of the 360. Um, You know, kind of a little bit more than Peter Moore, in my opinion, Uh, from like Mm. 2007 to 2010, like the glory, some of the strong glory years of the 360. And then he just became a recluse. I think he teaches skiing on like a mountain somewhere in Oregon. And just that's (laughs) it. it. That's the last you hear of him. Uh, Another man who at 49 was able to retire. A lot of these Xbox guys all got to do this. But anyway. Go work for Microsoft kids. That's the secret. Not anymore. They've, <laughs> I know. I there's know. something I've learned about success. They always close the door behind them and latch that fucker shut. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're ever successful and you're climbing the ladder way too fast and you come to run a company, make sure to close all the doors so that somebody under you can't do it too. Anyway, and I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being totally fucking truthful. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, no, I know from um, how, how countries are run over here in this country. <laughs> so. It's true. So it's bad, but so. it's true. Anyway. Yeah, tough but fair. The, um, but uh, so anyway, Microsoft, specifically Allard, focused on Xbox Live as the primary decisions for the console. It was the first console to ship with a hard drive. It had a, a 3.5-inch 7,208-gigabyte IDE drive that was used for game saves and online data. Which is Only huge, focusing- we should point out. 8 gigabytes versus the average Sony memory card of 8 megabits. Yeah, Huge. that is that's a big deal. You remember when you <laughs> so, put in a Sony memory card or even a GameCube one? I think a GameCube memory card had 59 blocks of data. A Sony memory card had 200-something blocks of data. And everybody remembers, if you've ever gotten an Xbox, you go to save your first game and it says 50,000-plus blocks free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I swear they did that for fun. <laughs> so, anyway... We'll, we'll probably talk about the hard drive a bit later, but that was actually something that I 
was actually quite impressed with about the Xbox back in the day. You yes. don't have to worry about the damage. It's also the one console where you can soft mod it and immediately, like, you're very limited, but you can soft mod just a traditional 8 gig hard drive and get pretty far with it, actually. <laughs> so, anyway. So the other focus is, was to eliminate the need for memory cards, which we already talked about. Although it still utilizes them if people want to obviously move them around, you know, portability and move data to other consoles. You know, because it had that slot on the back of the controller you could do that with. Which is the um, only reason you can soft mod an Xbox, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and all- yeah, people had it. I really think that even for Microsoft, that was an afterthought. In fact, I almost want to say early memory cards were third party. Like, Microsoft didn't even plan to manufacture for them. Like, they planned the slot in there. Yeah. Like, they always had plans for the data because the controller port literally has data input output. So, that had to have been planned. But Mm. I I don't think they had Microsoft-branded memory cards at launch. I'm pretty sure that was a... uh, Oh, what were they? Pelican did them. And maybe GameShark. Mm. But anyway. Anyway. But, and as, of course, as well as this, it was also used to rip CDs for custom soundtracks and media playing. Another thing that I was quite into back in the day. Again, we'll get on to that later. <laughs> um, there was a huge financial hit for the hard drive, and most Microsoft execs wanted it out. Um, Seamus Blackley. Seamus, Seamus, told- sorry. Oh, Seamus. Good old Seamus, yeah. yeah. Seamus Blackley. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble now. <laughs> so, he has no so... accent either if you ever hear him talk. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He sounds like an old white guy. <laughs> Even worse. Oh, that, I'm, I, I know, yeah, I know Seamus Blackley because I, 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 I listened to a yes. brief documentary about him, which I'll get onto later. He was in um, the heavy Peter Moore, Phil Spencer, Seamus Blackley uh, triumvirate yeah. for, for uh, E3, like 2014, I think, 15. Yeah, mm. but anyway. But he told a story on a podcast, Unlocked, that he threatened to quit if the hard drive left. He eventually agreed to shut shut up about the, the terrible Duke controller <laughs> in concession for the hard drive. According to Phil Spencer, the hard drive was essential to some of the processes uh, we need in Halo for the back um, from the from the back end that wouldn't have happened without it, which obviously makes sense if you just look at Halo. Yeah, I think Halo streams certain assets to the hard drive for access at certain points because it didn't have enough RAM. So, um, Mm. but yeah, again, I I don't question it too much, but it's notable for saying that like this is, there was, uh, you know, if if you ever follow Xbox, they haven't talked much about the one, but I think the one was, you know, the people who designed that console are almost gone. But yeah. for the 360, the big thing was the RAM, right? Remember the 512 RAM versus 256 and Gears of yeah, War? Yeah, absolutely. And that was the one that cost a bunch of money that people had to lay down their jobs for. Well, the hard drive is the one they originally had to lay down their jobs for. And uh, mm-hmm. Seamus Blackley was the one. Tried to quit many times. He said they'd never let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't, so. you can't quit. Yep. <laughs> so so moving some more about the hard, about the hardware it used the full-size optical dvd rom drive that reads proprietary format as such xboxes cannot be read or ripped by additional dvd drives and are only really useful useful by the xbox console itself any rips of games online or stored on computers are from modded xboxes performing the actual rip it still hasn't been cracked to this day yep the only way I know oh, how to uh, rip, <laughs> yeah. The only way I know how to rip uh, Xbox discs is to 
stick a drive in there and do it. That's why it also sucks to replace the drive because you have to buy certain ones and people on eBay now know to charge you for it. It's not a lot, but at 24 bucks, that's like half the price of a new Xbox. You may as well try to find a working one and just rip its hard or its optical drive out and have a backup in case your current one dies, which is what I've done. Mm. But yeah, it's a bitch to work with uh, if you're soft modding. But again, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, now there is um there is a post light system that holds the console hardware to bottom and made it difficult to disassemble. Um, the use of these consumer parts, uh, base hard drive and consumer DVD ROM is the size and the weight explanation. That's why it's a brick. Jam, yeah. have you ever <laughs> have you ever actually opened up your uh, Xbox yep. to soft mod it? <laughs> right, it's it, the the drive and the the. The, the the two IDE drives, the hard drive and the disk drive, take yeah. up a lot of space. They're very heavy. Um, the console's actually very light once simply. you pull that stuff out. <laughs> mm. um, and it's it's a bitch to pull apart. Like, that is not an easy console to disassemble, and you can tell they never intended you to. Uh, but we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. You get a couple torque screwdrivers. I mean, it's it's disassembled in about eight seconds, but, you know. Those are massive screws as well. They're yes, huge. they <laughs> are. God, they are the height of the whole console. They're 15-inch <laughs> screws. Um, you, you can't lose them. <laughs> Not unless you're doing it near like a, like a sewer grate or something. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, so this is where this is where I'm gonna. I might, I might just impress you here, Fred. So the console runs at 32 bits, 733 megahertz custom Pentium-free processor, 64 megabytes of DDR SD SD RAM, and a custom NVIDIA NV2A GPU at 233 megahertz. The console ran 7.3 gigaflops. The PS3 Ooh. ran 400 gigaflops, and the Xbox One is 1.1. Teraflops. <laughs> That's that just word? to explain. <laughs> yeah, this is. They were talking about this even back then. Um, but yes, and a teraflop is a thousand gigaflops. So yeah. that would be seven point three with the Xbox, four hundred with the PS3, and eleven hundred with the Xbox One. So bam. Is it is it the, is it the P- PS4 Pro or is it the the Xbox Scorpio that's going all about the, their damn teraflops? The P- <laughs> it was the Scorpio, but the PS. <laughs> well, the PS4 is pretty guilty of it too. The PS4 just so the fanboys don't freak out. And the reason I didn't use the 360 was that used a PowerPC uh, engine, yeah. so that's a little bit of a different, not apples to apples thing, but I could have dug that up. I just didn't. Um, NVIDIA released all this information because they were somewhat involved on all these, even though I'm aware it's an ATI card in the fucking uh, Xbox One. Anyway, the PS4, I'm rolling my eyes as I say it, is 1.8 teraflops. The PS4 Pro is 4.2 teraflops. And <laughs> sorry, Wait a minute, wait a minute. 1.8. Yeah, maybe it is 4.2 teraflops. And then the Scorpio is a whopping claimed 6.0 teraflops. So, claimed, yep. Claimed. And my graphics <laughs> card is over eight bitches. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best point. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, oh, brilliant. So, uh, as well as this, uh, the console handles a Direct 3D version 8.1 and Optical GL 1.4 Open well. GL 1.4. That's graphic nerd talk, but those of you who work in PCs may find that interesting. I don't think we need to get into what Open GL and version 8.1 are, Direct 3D, but those are all APIs for Windows. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just to show how very PC-like this was even from the get. Um, even after all those compromises we talked about. So, 
All right, Jam, you ready to talk about the, the infamous that, part? Oh, yeah. Tell us about the controller. <laughs> so, the Duke and the S. So, let's start with the Duke, of course, because that's the one that we all remember. You mean the Akabono? Um... <laughs> the S, anyway. So, yes. the infamous Duke controller on the original Xbox. See, it had the offset analog sticks. So, they weren't. So, obviously, if you remember the dual analog sticks with the uh, original PlayStation or the PlayStation 2, they're obviously right, literally next to each other, whereas the Xboxes were famously, and they have ever since, been kind of like diagonal to each other, really. Yeah, although that, that idea was taken from the Dreamcast, but of course, since this is the Dreamcast oh, 2, it, yeah. mm. it was integrated mm. in there with the second stick. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it kept the D-pad, uh-huh. and it added the black and the white buttons for the for bumper duty. I call it bumper Name- duty. Yeah, that's my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Named Blunder of the Year in 2001 by Game Informer, <laughs> second worst video game controller ever by IGN's Craig Harris, and 2008's Guinness World Record for largest controller ever. <laughs> Which, there must have been some caveats to that, because right off the bat, if you just think about the Xbox, I'm like, largest controller ever? Did, did no one play Steel Battalion? It's a fucking desk. <laughs> <laughs> My Ottoman barely handles the Steel Battalion controller. <laughs> So anyway, which by the way, Steel Battalion with that controller using a sectional couch, an ottoman, and a 65-inch TV, pretty fucking stellar. If only I was any good at the game. If only I was any good at the game. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah. I don't think you're alone there. I don't think many people are good at the game. Yeah. It's it's the Dark Souls of mech games with big controllers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know there's probably some crazy modder out there that's modded um, Dark Souls to play with that controller. Oh, you know they have, <laughs> yes. So, so uh, turns put, um, according to Seamus Blackley, the turns manufacturer out, of Turns out, sorry, that was a mistype so, on mine. Turns out. <laughs> turns out, according to Seamus Blackley, the manufacturer of the circuit boards um, for the controller to spec couldn't get smaller than the Duke. And then, back, is it back? was tasked with finding the market research to prove many love big controllers. I remember Yes, this. Bach. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about Bach. He's the marketing guru for Microsoft. Uh, we won't talk much about him, but... Uh, there was a lot yeah. of articles. Robbie Bach. Even, mm, there's a lot of articles, even some podcasts I remember famously saying, yes, we did all this market research and big controllers are better. Such <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, you can put it on your... <laughs> you can put it on your... Uh, yeah, and, and in that interview, I think it was... Uh, it was uh, Blackley who talks about he he was always he was he was a heavier set guy and he always put the controller on his leg and he goes look the Duke can rest on your leg and this skinny Japanese TV host puts it on there and it fell right off and he goes it can't fit on my leg can't fit on this country's leg so yeah that was a bunch of bullshit uh, they basically had no way of designing a controller that was smaller but what's weird is nobody ever tells the story about how quickly they were able to what was it three months later come out with mm-hmm. this S controller, the Akabono controller, but mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> now, well, part of that might be French because it was originally intended for Japan only. <laughs> right, but they claimed they couldn't find a manufacturer that yeah. could make the circuit board smaller. I, and remember, I, yeah, I yeah. call bullshit on that one. Mm. I just don't think so, they could have it ready for launch, in my opinion. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this version, so the S, this is the S controller, of course. So it shrank the controller and mo moved the start and select to the far left this time under the L stick next to the D-pad, and the black and white buttons moved to the far right. So they were kind of, you know, sh I, I come to, I didn't like where they put the black and white buttons on the S controller. I never I liked where up. the black and white buttons were. That's why I was so happy they swapped them for bumpers later. Uh, yeah. Bumpers oh, may yeah, seem absolutely. cumbersome on the 360, but for those of us who played with the black and white on, it's a, in a terrible place on the Duke. It's above the, uh, basically the Duke has them lined up like Street Fighter controllers almost with X, Y, white, B, A, black or A, B, black. And that's no better. That's worse. Um, there was just no good placement for black and white and any games that used it heavily. You're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so... But yeah. Um, and so, and the the S controller inevitably, um, due to the, all the hilarious press and the infamous goldfish being put in Xbox, well, not like the the goldfish stickers that used oh, to be yes. put in those yeah. X controllers, the big X circle um, with a goldfish sticker. Yeah, occasionally in mom and pop right. stores, you can find those still. Pick one up if you can. Oh, really? it's, it's worth five bucks. <laughs> you know, just not the stickers, but like a controller that has that sticker on oh, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So this eventually replaced the standard Duke controller in sort of about around 2002, really, in all territories. Uh, real quickly, I want to define something for Clue Drew because yep. he's not wrong, but he's wrong in this case. He says, how has Dark Souls come to mean hard? We already have a name for that. I mean, I understand that Dark Souls is hard, but it's hardly the only one. Actually, the reason I said it was the Dark Souls of stuff is because you have one life and when you die, you're done. If you don't eject from your fucking ship in... In that yep. you die, and so it was like the roguelike of um, the rogue -like a big mech-like mech three hundred dollar or one hundred and fifty dollar games, and so that's what I meant. I don't even know if that game is particularly hard. It's just hard to control, um, much like Dark Souls. No, um, but uh, anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, no. So that's what I meant. I meant because it's more of like a roguelike, but uh, uh, one death and you lose everything. So, and again, I know Dark Souls doesn't do that because you can go back and get your souls and you're good. So, yep. Yet again, I get I get sla justifiably slammed every time I call something the Dark Souls or something else because I'm not a huge Dark Souls fan, unlike everybody else. I see the value in them. I've just never sat down to play through anything but Bloodborne and Demon Souls. So whatevs mm -hmm. i just don't value them that much i'm not hipster enough for it so anyway <laughs> brilliant stay tuned for our dark souls game club <laughs> yes no if you are a huge dark souls fan or you want to hear somebody who is i'll pitch this just because it wasn't intended um bonfireside chats uh by uh Duckfeed tv or watch out for fireballs crew that's a group that really got into Dark Souls. They are definitely hipster enough for Dark Souls, and they get all up in it. So you can go over there. They 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 offer a very good service for that. So anyway, but real life is the Dark Souls of video games. Dark Souls is not a roguelike. Okay, see, I knew this was coming. We are moving on with the Xbox. I'm sorry to have ever invoked the dangerous Souls franchise or much that From Software has ever done in that regard. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, so that that's the controllers. So let's move on to the OS. So, uh, so it ran a Windows N NT kernel, but but utilized many of the APIs found in Windows. Uh, the dashboard was the UI and intended to allow you to add multimedia files, somewhat like a PC. The UI and slash OS would also receive an update to support Xbox Live after popping the disk in. 
Yes, that was that was one thing. That was one thing. um, Various people talked about, but Craig, uh, who is the Xbox Live Arcade guy, Craig something. Hold on, hold on. I'll find it. I'll find it. Uh, Here we go. Greg, sorry, not Craig. Greg. Greg Canna. Greg Canessa, C-A-N-E-S-S-A. Greg Canessa talks about the fact that that was the annoyance of Xbox Live getting the disc, um, but that was a paid service, so they could obviously include it in your bundle when you bought the service because people had a hard time understanding like buying a pre-bought year of service. Um, And then obviously with Xbox Live was because it was dependent upon updating things. And with Xbox Live Arcade, you still needed the disc to play anything on your hard drive. So it was kind of a pain in the ass um, that you needed the disc. So, but yeah, that's the way you had to do it. So, Mm -hmm. but yes. And and then finally, I guess we go on to E3 2001. This is in a bad place. I want to move this. Yeah. So one thing I will say was, I think it was GDC 2001. I believe Mm -hmm. that's when it was game developers conference in like, uh, the winter of 2000 into 2001. I think it was that one. It might've been 2000, uh, where, um, Seamus Blackley talks about feeling terrible when Bill Gates came up on stage and announced the Xbox and showed it off. And they had this barely running prototype and, um, Mm. AMD had been working with them uh, as a potential processor partner and had worked particularly hard to get that prototype up and running for the announcement of the Xbox. And a deal was made outside of Seamus's knowledge um, and most of the Xbox team's knowledge that was higher level, like, um, you know, Bill Gates level and and probably to a certain extent, um, uh, Steve Ballmer, uh, to go with NVIDIA for that NVIDIA chip. And so apparently the AMD guys were all in the audience as they watched that get announced and touted NVIDIA. Very similar to what Nintendo or Sony had to go through when Nintendo announced the CD console and said it was Philips CDI. Um, so that's pretty shitty. And he said to this day he feels bad about that. So that sucks. Mm. So anyway. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> here we go. So let's talk about software a little bit. Software. Yeah. Software a little bit. So there was uh, there was building the catalog for the launch titles. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 Drew, don't worry about it. I just, I just knew that I was an idiot for invoking Dark Souls because that just has a, a response from people who justifiably love that series or hate that series. And I have no business getting involved because of my kind of sideways interest in that series. So anyway, uh, so uh, so software, Halo, uh, Freeze pitch, uh, was pitched by Bungie to move the project from what started as Mac, moved to Windows, and now becomes a launch Xbox title. So he gets pitched by Bungie to come over and take a look at this. And there was a lot of arguments within Bungie. There's a sordid tale of Bungie, and I kind of know it, but I haven't done enough research to tell it. Um, But maybe we'll Mm -hmm. do it someday on kind of how this all happens. But basically what happens is Bungie gets split in the acquisition. Microsoft gives them all of their original properties, Myth, Marathon, Oni, and basically anything else all become Bungie properties owned by them other than Halo, which is why when Bungie left Microsoft, went independent on their own, they couldn't make Halo games anymore. That's why 343 has it, because it's owned by Microsoft. 
Yeah. Um, Microsoft also acquired the team it needed to finish the project. So Microsoft actually snagged some Bungie employees over to Microsoft Game Studios to finish Halo. Should be noted that of all the game, or that all the games press at the time wanted to know what the killer app, and more importantly, who was the mascot to take on Mario. At the time, Microsoft did not think that Halo or Master Chief was the answer, but they did tout Chief early uh, as a possibility. Microsoft was pimping online capabilities, multiplayer, LAN parties, and a dual stick shooter. Without keyboard and mouse, press were scared of the PC mm. similarities. Both the PC, I should point out, both the PC press and the console okay. press were skeptical of this, right? Because the PC guys were like, you can never pull off PC on a console. The console guys were like, we don't want PC on a console. Um, people were nervous as well because the game was supposed to get online multiplayer and never did. So um, just to give you some early feels for Halo, let me let me mention some people you may know who were working in different mm-hmm. places for it. Um, so yes, Clue Drew, always speak up. We want your opinion. Yes. Um, so I apologize for always. you thinking that. I That was me being more frustrated with the fact that I brought up Dark Souls. That was my fault, not yours. Anyway, real quick, I'm going to skim this, but here is an E3 t- 2011 pre-show hands-on for Halo. Uh, he says the Halo team at Bungie has remained pretty tight-lipped about its upcoming first-person shooter. Again, this is read from GameSpot, by, written by Jeff Gersman uh, for the Xbox. Ever since showing the game off for the first time at GameStock back in March, back then it was on display was all that was on display was one level and fairly basic AI. Since March, however, the game has come a long way. The version we played, which is set to be unleashed upon the industry at E3 convention in Los Angeles, contained improvements in just about every era possible area possible i should point out gersman has one of the most favorable previews of this game that i see what really sticks out to halo is its ai you'll be finding squads of marines team up in your common fight against the covenant forces you don't directly control the marines they take on the covenant jump into jeeps and even retreat without your help in all the final product should be able to handle 30 ai based characters at once making the potential for huge epic battles a great one in addition smaller weaker units will know how to team up with stronger units for survival and how to retreat when the tougher units are overpowered. Also, opponents will react differently depending on what they know. <clears throat> we were, uh, I'm skimming through it. We were also fortunate enough to see Halo's multiplayer modes, 16 player capture the flag mode. The multiplayer is achieved by networking Xbox units together and playing a four player split screen game on each unit. The Jeep made for some interesting team play tactics as up to three people can be in a Jeep at one time. One player can drive while using its wider view to spot targets for the other two players. One of whom sits in the passenger seat while the other mans the rear mounted gun turret. The frame rate took a hit during large explosions but it was pretty minor and hopefully cleaned up by the time the game was released. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So that's what Gersman said. Um, for the other side of it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This will come the back around. Side? Here's Game Critics. Uh, game yep. Critics is a well-known website that's still around today. So when they mention names here, this is who they're talking about. But he says, while Ben, Brad, and I didn't agree on much throughout the three days of E3, one thing we were unanimous on was how disappointing and underwhelming Halo was. During the closed theater presentation of Halo, it almost seemed as though the lead artist was trying to lower our expectations by saying that while the Xbox version Halo doesn't quite match the vision of the online PC multi player version they still managed to cobble together a quote-unquote decent one-player mode and a quote-unquote kick-ass split-screen multiplayer mode that can facilitate up to eight players with two screens and two xbox consoles well i hate to burst ed freezes and jay allard's bubble 
But Halo is far from kicking ass. Most of the so-called innovations in Halo are way overblown. On the surface, there isn't much to distinguish Halo from the countless first-person shooters at E3. Even the concept of vehicular combat in Halo is really nothing new. PC titles like Skynet, Redline, and Tribes pioneered such features years ago. The enthusiasm of the crowd almost seemed... Uh, seemed to the writing entirely to be writing entirely off the game's overhyped reputation as for hands-on eight player deathmatch mode demonstration between two xboxes not only was the animation embarrassingly choppy but the overall graphics looked surprisingly n64 like it seemed as though most showgoers also failed to notice the split screen death matches were being played over two hd tv 16 by 9 plasma screens gamers should ask themselves do i have that kind of hardware sitting in my house not only is it highly unlikely you'll have access to two widescreen TVs the size, that size and magnitude, but it's also unlikely you'll ever have two regular televisions big enough to host such an event. If Microsoft is hedging most of its bets on Halo, it better seriously think about folding its hand and cutting its losses. That's easy to scrutinize Ouch. back then, or yeah. now, but back then it was totally part of the mainstream. And you know what's funny? Yeah. I forgot that it's... Was it possible to string together eight Xboxes in a LAN? Or I thought you I could was, do that. I okay, it was four. but for most people, yeah, maybe it was four with split screen. But for most people, I did yeah. not see two Xboxes and four players on each TV. But I know it happened, and I know we played it a lot. So well, it's quite common in college, wasn't it? College. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Good. I was in college when this yeah. came out. So yeah, um, I could have sworn because most of the dorms had LANs, though, that everybody LANed up. But anyway. There was a widespread <laughs> heap fear that Halo would be terrible. The Penny Arcade cartoon of the time literally had a slide of the Xbox launch that said, Halo is shit. Of course, this all started to change around mid-September when Bungie and Microsoft visited news outlets and everybody seemed to be very eager. By launch, Halo was an impressive hit that never should have been. It appeared to fare even worse because not only did Microsoft marketing shift from Oddworld, the expected best launch game, to Halo, but far more pressure came down on Freeze and Bungie to create a second game this would eventually lead to freeze's departure and the craziness that would be halo 2 story again we'll tell that at a different time next up oddworld munch's odyssey oddworld was in a weird place because originally the series was about five main characters yep. in the mythos and already abe's exodus had broken that trend munch's odyssey was supposed to be returned to form with a 2d game on the playstation 2 thanks to some major publishing issues with gt interactive and microsoft's xbox the project moved to 3d and became less of a puzzle game and more of an action title during this conversion freeze managed to snag publishing on munch's odyssey and it became the new home for a franchise rooted entirely on playstation the sudden shift was made fun of in the infamous penny arcade cartoon from october 23rd 2000 that coined the term money hat i'll put this in the chat for people who want to see it it's quite good <laughs> yeah dave said he was in college and it was lanified um but here's what it says it shows a guy sitting there with a bunch of money i'm thinking presumably this is um oh who is it who's the guy who runs uh oh it's on the tip of my tongue who runs odd world <laughs> um Oh, why am I blanking on his name? Lauren Lanning. Lauren Lanning. <laughs> anyway, it's Lauren Lanning sitting there, and he's got money all over him, and he's got a hat full of money. And it's somebody off screen going, what prompted the Xbox exclusive for Munch's Odyssey? Well, we think the Xbox is a superior development platform, and I've always really liked fat sacks full of money. Do you like my money <laughs> hat? It's, do you like my hat? It's made of money. Would you like to stay for lunch? I think we're eating money. <laughs> I think we're having money. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. Yeah um the if you're google searching it it's also called um the 
the the cartoon um, is, is called uh, it's also called Moolah, and it's from October twenty third. So anyway, two thousand. Initial views were very positive, but Oddworld kind of received a brush off. Microsoft seemed, uh, but Oddworld kind of received a brush off from um, from press. Microsoft seemed the most confident about it. Edge Magazine gave it best Xbox E3 2001 game. Critical reception was high, but not killer app status. The game received mid to high 7 and 70s, people stating it wasn't engaging or long enough. Readers of IGN did give it several best of Xbox awards, but that may be new console fanboys fighting for their design. (laughs) Who knows, though? But yeah, Halo, of all things, didn't have a great story. It was like the one thing you could nag. But anyway... Mm -hmm. Last up was Project Gotham Racing. It was Bizarre Creations follow-up to Metropolis Street Racer on the Dreamcast. Jam, did you ever play Metropolis Street Racer on the Dreamcast? I have that game, I believe so. Yeah, uh, yeah. I um, apparently lots of people liked this game. But anyway, it did have a cult following. Uh, little is known about the development pre-launch, save to say that Bizarre offered internal Microsoft Teams a glimpse at, con- at a console title's launch. E3 projections gave it positive scores, uh, but seemed negative on the fact that it was a racing game. Traditionally, racing titles are always at a console's launch and seem throwaway after the console's been out for a while. It garnered very favorable reviews in the upper 80s and came away with some of the best-looking car models in console gaming history at the time, but again, wore the stigma of a car game. It's a car game. Yeah. (laughs) So, all right. Let's burn through this real quick and get to the launch. We'll ta- we'll touch on Xbox Live very briefly and then maybe have 15 minutes for games. So, mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, why don't you so, tell us about the launch? Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, so, Aaron Greenberg, head of games marketing and in charge of Xbox marketing release, he was involved from day one. Greenberg was doing marketing analysis at Disney on his children's book line when he picked up he was picked up by Microsoft to do Latin American market analysis. Then he was asked to come in and be the data analysis hub for launching a console. Another trend, the Dreamcast, uh, another trend, the the Dreamcast was who they compared for for the launch concepts, basically. Um, Going into launch, Microsoft and especially its team were very scared and negative. On the US front, 9-11 had just happened two months before the launch. And although it did not affect... um, any one person it was part of a grand equation dev kits hadn't been in the hands for some developers more than six months previews um were better not but not great and the xbox is basically slated by all press as lukewarm at best with rough like with a rough lineup i should point out this is where the e3 2001 thing comes in so microsoft shows off a yet to be completed xbox that was only running at half graphical processing power and demos oh and demos early stages in halo along with a multiplayer demo the press is cautious but somewhat pessimistic robbie box says that e3 2001 can be summed up in one word disaster mm-hmm. there you go and basically yeah greenberg's team was completely off in its projections they stated munch's odyssey for the top performer and no one projected halo many say halo and then we sports are the final killer apps like the final launch game killer apps like yeah. since halo and yeah. we sports there hasn't been one since so but anyway you want to talk about the launch window games real quick i'm just gonna throw them out there and you just tell me if there's anything you want to talk about real quick the only last thing worth mentioning is when we go back to shameless blackley is worth <laughs> mentioning it's on the launch of the xbox he proposed to his um girlfriend which i thought was quite cute <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i remember that now yeah so 
But um, yeah, so good for them. Uh, so real quick, uh, American launch four by four. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just said did. that. Yeah. In case it he is married. Well. He, well, he might not still be married, but he uh, he is he was he did get married from that. But anyway, so the U.S. launch four by four Evo two Air Force Delta Storm Arctic Thunder cell damage Dark Summit Dead or Alive three Fusion Frenzy Bill Gates' favorite Halo Combat Evolved Mad Dash Racing. Madden 2002, NASCAR 2002, sorry, NASCAR Heat 2002, NASCAR Thunder 2002, NFL Fever 2002, NHL Hits 2002, Oddworld Munch's Odyssey, Project Gotham Racing, Shrek, Test Drive Off-Road Wide Open, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2X, and Trans World Surf. If you want to know anything about me as a gamer, I got Halo and Pro Skater 2X and called it a day. (laughs) (laughs) And Pro Skater 2X was a budget title because 2 had come out like earlier that year or the year before. Like it was like a March 2001 title on the PlayStation. Um, And then 3 came out. No, actually 2X might have come out because they hadn't gotten 3 ready yet. Anyway. Uh, Japanese launch, Air Force Delta Storm, Amped Freestyle Snowboarding, Dead or Alive 3, ESPN Winter Sports 2002, ESPN Winter X Games Snowboarding 2002, Genma Animusha, Jet Set Radio Future, Nabanaga Noyobu, Ransaiki, that's uh, Nabanaga's ambition, Project Gotham Racing, Silent Hill 2, Restless Dreams, Sneakers, and Reckless, the Yakuza Missions. That's a stronger lineup to me, especially with Genma Animusha and Jet Set Radio Future. Mm. It also proves it even more of a, of a Dreamcast 2. Anyway... <clears throat> Then for you guys in Europe and in Australia, good old Europe. You guys got Amped, Batman Vengeance, Bloodwake, fucking Bloodwake, baby. Uh, Dave Mira, Freestyle <laughs> BMX Two, Dead or Alive Three, Fusion Frenzy, Halo, Jet Set Radio Future, Mad Dash Racing, Max Payne, NBA Live Two Thousand and Two, NHL Two Thousand and Two, NHL Hits Two Thousand and Two, Munch's Odyssey, Project Gotham Racing, Rally Sport Challenge, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Three, Trans World Surf. And reckless the Yakuza missions. Did you grab a Xbox at launch? No, no, I didn't. I got my Xbox a bit later, but I played it close to launch. I would have liked to say because I didn't play Halo quite early, early on with the Duke. Yep, yep. Uh, Clue Drew says Wii Sports might be the only game more popular than the console to be on. <laughs> Very good point. That's quite true. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, <clears throat> Andrew, fun fact, that Shrek game is actually shit. <laughs> Thank you for that, Andrew. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah. So not the strongest launch lineup. You can totally see where they're going with that. There's a little bit for everyone, but not for your new console and not compared to what Sony had out on the PlayStation 2 at the time. Um, I think the GameCube launched around then too. Can't remember now. Hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah, just for fun, let's find out when the GameCube came out. Yes, that GameCube. Fuck. Um, <clears throat> GameCube came out. Oh, this was very much a... Actually, Nintendo and Sony went toe-to-toe in the next generation. But yeah, GameCube, uh, November 18th, 2001. So the GameCube literally coming out three days afterwards. You could get out of uh, buying an Xbox and get right into line to buy a GameCube. Um, but yeah. But then the trend of, yeah, you can do cool things with this, but then no one does started. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, real quick, Xbox in Japan. Microsoft chose to focus more on Japan than Europe, Australia, even delaying the PAL territory's launches to get the Japanese version out. 
The reasoning was that Japan was more console-focused. Unfortunately, there was no strong Japan-focused titles. No networking in Japan uh, was admitted by Robbie Bach. Now, when I say no networking in Japan, I mean like they had no manufacturing developers, any of that. They had none of their ties in Japan. And a disconnect with the region's needs. The controller was also a non-starter in Japan to the point that the S had to launch on the console in order to sell to sell it all. According to Japanese press, there were no RPGs. The console was far too large, and it even outs- was even outsold by the PS1 by four to one in 2002. Wow! Total sales for Japan were 450,000, which is compared to six million in Europe and 16 million in the U.S. So there you go. Uh, Xbox Live. Robbie Bach in his book claims Xbox Live is by far the more important, the most important element in the Xbox success story. Microsoft wanted to succeed where it watched the Dreamcast fail. The way it went about doing this was its online service, Xbox Live, that launched November 2002. Xbox Live created a world where you could play games with one another. It ushered the, ushered the chances of downloadable content games and Xbox Live Arcade. It is the beginning of services that follow you from platform to platform, something Microsoft has now expanded into its other businesses like Windows and Office today. <clears throat> The reason I bring this up, and Xbox Live Arcade came out in 2004, still predating Steam. Steam wouldn't come out Mm. um, until Half-Life 2, which was also in November of 2004, but later. Um, And if you don't recall, Steam had a very rough negative launch, and it wasn't really a storefront. It was just a Valve thing for a long time. Um, But uh, Xbox Live on OG Xbox... Uh, was only around for a little while. You had to pop the disc in at all times, but it was a free disc and it came with Ms. Pac-Man for free. It was only about 20 games and I think they were mostly Namco games. Um, but uh, Greg Kastanen or... Oh, what was his name? I had him up here. Uh, I want to give a shout out to him for Xbox Live Arcade because while that is much more important on um, in the 360 generation, it did start here. Um, mm-hmm. Greg Canessa, uh, he talks about how Xbox Live Arcade, the reason it was successful and the reason it could take off was because it was a combination of indie games starting to becoming popular and there was no place to put them, right? No Steam, no place to put them. You couldn't get a published big game deal so they couldn't go on consoles. And also retro developers started losing work because of the new 3d generations around the late 90s like they were kind of dried up for a little while and so this gave an opportunity for them to take their old projects and re-release them and make money off of them where most people were pirating them on like mame and stuff um so that gave them an outlet and then gave them legal rights to like sue people for for putting that stuff out there and downloading it and whatnot. And then the last part was um, that mobile started becoming a craze and Xbox Live Arcade was a way to bring those mobile games over to consoles. So Xbox Live Arcade was very important too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Zuma. um, Zuma. (laughs) But the big thing that I should point out that if you haven't been able to tell already with the 16 by 9 TVs and Xbox Live, which needed a Ethernet connection when most people were dial-up, I should point out. Um, was kind of a trend that Microsoft has continued to go on where Nintendo's idea is make it as cheap as possible so that everyone can get it. Microsoft, while the hardware is getting cheaper, Microsoft always has had, and I think continues to have, this clout about it that like you'll have the more expensive stuff, that it just costs a little bit more to be a gamer and you need to pony up the money for it. And I think this was... Definitely the case when you look at the Xbox One launch, but that was it in out of control. But we're going to see it again with Scorpio and even the Xbox 360. 
You know, you'll recall now PlayStation yeah, yeah. Four was pretty expensive, but people talk about how Xbox 360 at 400 bucks was perfectly normal and people could totally buy it. While I knew people who bought a 360 at launch, that was I was on my own in my own job at that point, and I was like too rich for my fucking blood. Pfft, fuck that. 400? No. I told them I was like 300 is my top. My opinion has changed since then, but I think Microsoft always kind of expected you to spend a little bit more money. And that may or may not make them a more controversial company. I'm not sure. So, mm. but anyway. Food for thought. Yes. So we've got about 10 minutes. Real quick, I want to catch up with the chatters a little bit, though. Yeah, because there's a few um, interesting points made there. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want to read them, actually, since I've been talking sure. about Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I'll go from the... Uh, Dave has said, Xbox uh, successful, in my opinion, is less about the games. It's more about playing with your friends, which I totally agree with that with the Xbox Live. Do we actually mention that the Xbox has four controller ports as well? Because that was uh, yeah. a big deal. Yeah, really. it does have four controller ports. All so included. Yeah. I, I know that the N64 had that, and I know that the GameCube and uh, the Dreamcast did have it as well, but it's, that is still quite important because obviously playstation was still racking on their two ports still with that tumor they had to attach to do the four player stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> um as well as that uh, before the chat um, leaves and i have to scroll back up again xbox popularized 3d shooters i believe and there's the genre that was <laughs> the shit for about a decade i wish that's from andrew the shit course. yeah well and i agree because Everybody said you can't make a PC. Uh, that was the whole thing with Halo. Was you can't make a PC shooter with a controller. You can't make a PC shooter. And they yeah, did. Absolutely. They just did. Like I mean, you can argue it all you want, but they did. I remember a PC gamer friends I had who were massive PC gamers were buying Xboxes because they were so impressed by that as well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's also, it wasn't just the um, PC gaming. It's the fact that people were impressed by the because it was it, they moved from mouse and keyboard to dual analog sticks yes. for the first time. Yes, it's very true. So, um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, God, that's still pissing me off. Uh, we won't talk about it. But anyway, all right, let's talk about the games. The games. games. Uh, one thing I definitely want to point out uh, as it relates to us is that the original Xbox, because it was kind of a flashed in time uh, Windows, you know, 98 console, basically, um, it's impressive the PC games that are very hard to get running now that just when you get tired of trying to mod them and get them to run, just run on Xbox. And the best examples I can come up with are Advent Rising. You think it's hard to get Call of Cthulhu to run. Try to get Advent oh, yeah. Rising running on a fucking <laughs> PC nowadays. Um, <laughs> Call of Cthulhu is another one. Um, to a yep. certain extent, one of the smoothest running, although now they've been patched up as of recently to run a lot better, but uh, one of the smoothest running versions of um, KOTOR 2. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there were a lot of games that their PC versions, even today, can be kind of rough to get working um, and, and totally work, just work on the Xbox. Yeah. Like, even when I tried the modded uh, Call of Cthulhu, it was a little clunkier than playing on Xbox. Xbox is this, it's just impressive to me constantly with consoles, how things yeah. just work. And it, it definitely tells you the strength that console gaming has over PC gaming when it comes to just getting something to work. And I'm even seeing that now with the Pro, 
Whereas like there's a shitload of tweaking that goes into making certain PC games run smoothly for my relatively powerful rig. You get on the Pro and it's doing upscaled 4K visuals with like 1800p and it's just so smooth and you're like, you know what? It's not as good as the PC visuals and eventually I got mine to run that smooth, but boy, this took a lot less time and it just nails it pretty damn close right out of the gate, you know? So mm. anyway, but Jam, why don't we talk? Uh, we got about, uh, I'm, we're going to have to put like five or uh, probably seven minutes on yeah. this, but uh, why don't you get, why don't you share with me like your favorite Xbox game or one of your favorites and uh, chatters definitely chime in. We'll, we'll start throwing those in the mix too one of the favorites <laughs> just start just one. start throwing them out what's the xbox games you need to know people need to know exist well, i thought as well i'll just keep it simple as well well not to keep it simple but i, I was going to stick with just exclusives really with um they're only on the original xbox sure. and possibly possibly pc <laughs> but, uh, that, that, so. again we've just pointed out that, that yeah. i consider that to not necessarily count but one of the big ones, which is obviously one of our very early game clubs together, Fred, was um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I really freaking dug that game. <laughs> and that <laughs> one is exclusive to Buffy, to, to Xbox. You will not so find that anywhere yeah. else. Yes, to Buffy. She's the only, the only one who gets the Buffy game. That one. <laughs> so. um, but yeah, no, that's only on Xbox. That's the only way you'll play it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I still think that game is a ton of fun today. And I still think it um, outdoes its sequel, which was... Um, which was on, obviously on multi-platform as well. Um, okay, moving on very quickly, I know we haven't got time. Oh, no, um, you're good. Uh, Brute Force, um, which is obviously the four-player shooter. I mean, I believe that was a Xbox only two. That is also so Xbox just, exclusive. Yeah, it was just it was just kind of a fun idea of a co-op game, kind of way before kind of Gears <laughs> came along. It wasn't a cover-based shooter; it was a third-person shooter. But it was the kind of like the class-based thing, mm-hmm. you know, where you have one person's the sniper, one person's the heavy shooter, one person's the lizard guy, of course, because somebody has to be the lizard guy um and i just i just kind of I, I dug it but it was one of those games that didn't really kind of i think maybe because it was at the tail end of the console cycle it didn't quite get the recognition this is also around when xbox live was big with the downloadable content so this was kind of on the forefront of that um i didn't get involved with the downloadable content with the original xbox but obviously that it was a predecessor to what was going to become big on the 360 later Another, this is a minor one, but Conquer Live and Reload, I thought that, I'm not, I'm, it's not my favorite, but I thought it's worth throwing in there because people forget that this exists, really. And actually, um, actually, yeah, to, to build upon that, I remember being critical of it back then and going like, ah, yeah. this version's not as good. They've censored out certain parts and stuff like that, but I think it's definitely the easier version to go back to, especially when I play the Rare Replay version. <laughs> it's kind of fun when you replay it, especially if you have played Conquest Bad Thirty, some of the jokes that Rare puts in it when they make it, it's assuming you they, they assume you have played the original. Yes, so they are self-aware that this is your probably your second time through, um, mm. and I like that. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, big Sega one, um, which I was mentioning is obviously Jet Set Radio Future, which is a fantastic sort of series that just never ever took off properly i think but it's great on the original xbox that game well and while we're on that subject so people ask me why i always say dreamcast 2 and if i if we haven't convinced you with the fact that microsoft basically used sega's dreamcast which was what they had the most marketing research on because sony and nintendo were closed doors um 
it's the fact that the following games are pretty much Sega exclusives for that console. <laughs> That's pretty much Sega all. GT 2002, Sega GT Online, Shenmue 2 in America, um, Toe Jam and Earl 3, um, uh, yep. Jet Set Radio Future. There are just a ton of Sega. Um, House of the Dead 3. Free. Believe yep. <laughs> it or not, has a light gun and is exclusive to the Xbox. It is. Uh, the I've original it. Xbox <laughs> until, yes, I understand they did an arcade port on the PlayStation 3. I have it, but still. Um, for a short period of time, Psychonauts was going to be an exclusive. Did you know that? It was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. yeah Microsoft yeah. had to let it go and they let it go for Voodoo Vince. Which, yeah, know. you know what? I'll give him credit though. That was a Spencer Phil Spencer decision. Well. Yes, he was. <laughs> Phil Spencer was a, a a lower level manager on Ed Free's team at the time. Um, but I will give him credit. He stands by that decision. Oh, He's not saying he, he made the right decision, but he stands by that decision. Have we also mentioned that that is also coming? That's getting a remake. Of Food Avenger remake. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Phil Spencer can't that was wait. Brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. I've played the sounds better than it is uh, Metal Wolf Chaos game, yes. uh, which was uh, Japan only exclusive. Japan and only as well. It's not region free, so you got to go through a lot mm. of bullshit to get it to run, but it's there. Um, <clears throat> so, do, uh, do, 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 do. A huge one, okay. if you're still thinking, yes. is um, Panzer Dragoon Auto. I, I think that game is amazing. It, it still looks phenomenal graphically to this day uh, for the original Xbox. Uh, That's another one of those cast two, two type of games. Oh, yes. Yes, that one definitely qualifies. <laughs> um, hmm, I'm trying to think. Let's see. Off the top of my head, thinking of exclusives, I can't. But there is a weird phenomenon that also happens here, mm. where like I attribute certain. Oh, Fable, duh! Fable got its start. Oh, yeah, God, how do we forget that? Yeah, was, well, it's because Fable Two is the actual Fable. real good game. But um, you know, Fable yeah, One, A for I'll, effort. I'll... <laughs> I remember having a huge argument with my ex girlfriend with Fable because I, I I did a decision she didn't agree with. You'll game. notice Jam says ex girlfriend because <laughs> he set that shit straight <laughs> yeah. real fast. Uh, oh, I, I do things that my my current partner disagrees with. So it, it, it wasn't as bad as. But that. he's letting it go out. this time. He's learned to move on. Um, it was very memorable. I let, it made my, that's that's what stopped me sort of playing Fable for a very long time. Well, like so. So here's a couple of examples before I go into uh, one other thing I wanted to get to. But a couple of examples being like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance One and Two, um, and Blood Rain. BMX Triple X, which is a game no one should play. Um, <laughs> and even to a certain extent, um, like Wolfenstein and Call of Duty, these games are all in my head Xbox games. But mm -hmm. half of you out what? there go, what? No, those are PlayStation games. Yeah, those are PlayStation games. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that's interesting how that literally became like a dichotomy. And again, I should point out one of the biggest things, and I didn't even put it in the hardware profile, was the Xbox, the original Xbox was the first console to be able to process live Dolby Digital 5.1 encoding so they could include it in every game. Um, and if it didn't have it, if they got like a stereo version, they could just branch it out into 5.1 using, you know, the various things. Dolby Pro Logic's a good example here. Um, and so every single game you would play on the Xbox had surround sound. So that's probably why I thought of, uh, or I, I played a lot of these games on, um, on Xbox. 
Um, I should point out I had surround sound at the time. I had a 5.1 optical mm-hmm. receiver and I was in college and I actually got by this generation uh, not with a PlayStation 2. I had an Xbox and a GameCube, which is very similar to what people say mm-hmm. you should do nowadays with a gaming PC and a Nintendo console. So um, that was how I got by. Um, and real quick, Jam, and then we'll do our wrap-up. But Dave says, isn't Knights of the Old Republic a big, big one on original Xbox? Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Absolutely. KOTOR, KOTOR 2, Elder Scrolls 3, Morrowind. Um, Jade Empire. <laughs> To a certain extent, Jade Empire was an Xbox game first and then a console, like a, a console and now game. now an iOS game. I feel like these other games were PC games that happened to come to um, Xbox. Another good yeah. one is Siberia 1 and 2. Those were weird games. Oh, yeah, games. that's yeah. good. That's a good example. Um, and then there are a handful of exclusive games we don't talk about because they're straight shit. <laughs> The first thing that comes to mind is Dino Crisis 3, although I will concede I I've one. not played it in about seven it, years, maybe in ages. Well, oh, not much has changed. Okay. So. I, don't think, I don't think it's gonna, your opinion is going to change after seven years. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so another one that uh, uh, I believe Fallout Brotherhood of Steel was on PCs first and then came to Xbox. Nope, that, that was on, was on PS2 as well. PS2. Never mind. That's not one of the ones. Um, and then the other one I remember was Aliens versus Predator. Did that come out on? Oh God, the Extinction. Yeah. Did Extinction one. come That's, out on PlayStation or was it only on? It, it, it did. Okay. Yeah, then never mind. It's PS2 as well. We're bleeding yeah. into that territory. So Jam, is there any other games that you think everybody needs to uh, needs to to know about and talk about before we wrap this show up? Sure. Yeah, real quick is uh, there's a series called the Atogi series, another Dreamcast 2 series, ah, which are both... Atogi, um, the Sega same. games, yeah. The first one's Myth of Demons, the second one's Immortal Warriors, both pretty cool games, actually. They're, they're um, early predecessors to the making good use of the destructible environments. They're hack and slash games, but mm-hmm. interesting art style. Again, <clears throat> you, you just don't... These games are not available on PC either. They're very unique to the Xbox and very sought after, I think, at this point. Yeah, I actually bought uh, them because you told me, hey, Otogi is yeah. a tough series. And believe it or not, I ran out... Oh, another PC Xbox game, but was Xbox first, was... Um, Stubbs the zombie rebel without a pulse and it oh, had a yeah. big thing made in the that, yeah. Halo engine, but that one's kind of expensive nowadays. But yeah, you told me about a Togi, and I think I remember telling you, hey, at the mom and pop store by me, they're doing a buy one get one sale right now, and they've got both of them for seventeen ninety nine a piece. And you were like, you should go grab those. I went and grabbed yeah. those, and I have never seen those games on a shelf in this mom and pop yep. store ever again. And they regularly get back in stock things I never would have seen. I've seen them burn through about seven Rule of Roses, so they. Kind Constantly wow. <laughs> get weird, rare games, and they've never gotten Otogi. Although they've never gotten Stubbs the Zombie either. I actually bought a PC version of that and had to hack mm. it to get it to work, and it's not great. Um, but anyway, since I, since I got my original Otogi, I got I got the original Otogi practically new actually on the original Xbox, and I've never seen it. I've rarely seen it for sale since. But the second one, I found that for a few years ago and I've never ever seen a sequel available yeah. <laughs> since then. Yeah, and you don't want to play the second one without playing the first. Uh, no, no, you want to play the first Because one, reasons. Yeah, but... Um, but uh, yeah, so. <laughs> we should also point out a handful of 720p games. Oh, and Psy1 does point out at the end. And let's not forget Crimson Skies. Oh yeah, I about that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good oh, one. Oh yeah, especially if you yeah. played on live. I hate dogfighting airplane games, but Crimson Skies was okay. And Andrew says Siberia 1 and 2 weren't exclusive though. And I said, no, Siberia no, was part were. of this yeah. whole... PC games coming over to Xbox. So I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear. 
So, all right, I'm getting yelled at. We need to end this show. Yep. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so check us out, GamingHistory101.com. Hit us up with contact. We will be back next week with an unforetold uh, episode, and uh, we will definitely be discussing Sleeping Dogs after that. Grab it. Play it. Got to rush. Sorry. Peace. Mm-hmm. Out. 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 <laughs>